there was a man who decided he was going to, from a young age, he was going to live for wealth and riches. He was not going to be poor. And sure enough, this guy amassed incredible riches. He, he really built up his portfolio just before he, he died. He called his wife in and he said, now, honey, they say you can't take it with you, but I'm going to sure try. And so this is what I want you to do. When I die, I want you to liquidate all my assets. I want you to get to the bank. And then at my funeral, I want you to put all of my riches in the casket with me. I want to take it with me. Do you promise me you'll do this? And she thought a moment and she said, yes, I promise. And he said, now, now, sweetie, this is real important to me. You, you promise? And she says, yeah, yeah, I, I promise. I will. I promise you I will. And he knew his wife was a woman of integrity. And so he died peacefully. And when he was at, at his, his funeral, after the funeral, the widow came forward and she had a velvet box and she placed it in his casket. And the undertaker sealed up the casket and took it away. And one of her friends pulled her aside and said, don't tell me you actually did that. She said, I, I absolutely did do that. You mean you took all of his wealth and you put it in there with him? She said, I said I would do that. I'm a woman of integrity. Now, I couldn't fit it all in, so I, I wrote him a check instead. <laughs> greed, greed, greed. A recent survey said that the average American has said that, that the number one problem in America is greed. It's materialism. And yet, according to a, a survey done by BBC, I know that's that's other side of the pond, but still, uh, they, they said that, that even though the number one problem is greed, it's a problem that I certainly don't have. Average person says this, but they did a list of the seven deadly sins. Which one gives you the most trouble? And consistently, the last one... The one that caused no one any problem was the sin of greed. That wasn't an issue. Uh, we have come, though, to believe, it's a default system thing, as well as society working hard on us, that, that the faster and the bigger and the brighter and the shinier and the, the more prestigiouser the thing, the more enjoyment, the more peace, the more happiness. Happiness is just a purchase away. That's what we've come to hold to. Now, Christian Smith, he's a sociologist out of uh, University of Notre Dame. He did a landmark study on this very issue a couple of years ago. He has it listed in his book, The, the Paradox of Generosity, and he says this. He says, people rightly say that money cannot buy happiness. But money and happiness are still related in a curious way. Happiness can be the result not of spending more money on oneself, but rather of giving money away to others. General, generous financial givers are happier people. And in the study, what they did is they looked at several different categories. Your physical health, your relationships, peace of mind, purpose in life, etc. And without exception, every single category, the people who were the more generous folk rated themselves as happier, more content in life. Now, this is a fascinating study that he did. It wasn't done by Liberty University. It wasn't done by some parachurch organization or some church. It was done by the prestigious Notre Dame. He says this. He says, generosity is paradoxical. Those who give receive back in turn. By spending ourselves for others' well-being, we enhance our own standing. And letting go of some of what we own, we ourselves move towards flourishing. This is not only a philosophical or religious teaching, it is a sociological fact. 
It is a so. But we don't we don't need Christian Smith to tell us this, right? Because God has been saying this for some time. In Genesis 12, he comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. Jesus said it is more blessed to, to give than receive. And Christian Smith would say Jesus is on to something here. Uh, John 3.16, for God so loved that he gave. Of course he gave because that's what loving Loving people, that's what they do. They cannot not. And look what God gave. It's fascinating. Didn't give an angel. Didn't give several of them. Didn't give the best one. He gave the best he had, his own son. As 2 Corinthians 8, 9, we find this about Jesus. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, our sake, he became poor. He gave to us that we, through his poverty, might be rich. Now, I know, I know some of y'all thinking, is this going to be a message about money? Well, yeah, it, this is number two in our generosity series. But before, before, you, before you take off, hang on, listen to me for just a second. In Scripture, in Scripture, there are 500 verses about prayer. That's a lot of verses about prayer, 500 verses. I would think God really wants us to understand what it means to commune with Him, seeing how that's why Christ died. That's His goal, the temple will be called a house of prayer. That's His plan. He wants us to understand that. So much so, 500 verses. Just about the same number of verses on faith which is the air that a believer breathes, faith. The just shall live by faith. 500 verses, we need to understand that. In scripture, 2,000 verses dealing with money. A matter of fact, one in 10 New Testament verses talk about money. There are 38 parables that Jesus gives. 16 of them relate to money. 25% of Jesus' teaching is related to money. Now, if we really want our, our pulpit to reflect Jesus' teaching, right, we need to be preaching on money once a month, 25% of the time. Do I get an amen? Yeah, no. No, we're not going to amen that one, right? I understand that. I understand. That would be bad hermeneutics anyway. But, but still, just that understanding that, like Brian mentioned last week, to a, a poverty-induced people, Jesus had a lot to say about money. And you know, the goofy thing is, is he didn't, after he preached on money, he didn't take an offering. Matter, matter of fact, Jesus never took an offering to my knowledge. Uh, one time, I think he borrowed a coin from somebody for a sermon illustration and gave it back. So why? All this talk on money. Well, Jesus wants something more than our money. If he wanted your money, he'd just take it, right? Because he's God. He can do that. That's not a big deal for him. Uh, Matthew 6. It says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God. You think it would say God and Satan. No, God and money. Jesus knows that the number one competitor for your heart, for, for allegiance to him, is money. And so he's after our, our heart. The, the money is a, a byproduct, but he knows money, if it holds us, if it holds our heart, he won't get it. And since that's what he, he's after, that's why he does so much teaching. So this is our, our goal this morning. This morning, we're going we're gonna to pull at Jesus, okay? We're not going to take a special offering. We're not looking for extra gifts. Y'all give a little bit more, dig a little bit deeper. This is a very generous place. We are a very generous church. I'm, I'm amazed. But we know 
that, that Satan is hammering us here, perhaps because this is the weakest link, this is the number one competitor for our hearts. Madison Avenue employs the, the best and the brightest pays them a boatload in order that they might use every psychological manner they have to convince you and I that happiness is just a purchase away. And this is what we're bombarded with on a regular basis. And so this is our, our goal is to listen to Jesus' words and, and to reorient our, our thinking. Oh, yeah, that's right. Get our mind according to Jesus, not Madison Avenue. Get our, our bank accounts and portfolios and financial plans and checkbooks related to Jesus, not Madison Avenue. That's what we're after today. And so we're going to look at a case study that hopefully will start us down that way. If you've got your Bibles or you've got your Bible app, if you locate Luke, Chapter 19. Luke 19. And this is a, kind of a, a familiar story. Well, let's just camp here for a little bit this, this morning and see if we can come up with some ideas of how it might relate. It says, He, that's Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Now, the IRS has a lot of power to make sure you and I fulfill our, our civic responsibility. And they have got an arsenal at their disposal to make sure we do this. You do not want to cross an IRS agent. Zacchaeus was Roman IRS because, because uh, Israel was a conquered foe and Rome were the conquerors. And so Rome levied an incredible back-breaking tax on Israel. Matter of fact, the only real reason they kept them around, well, of all their conquered peoples, was so that they would be a cash cow for them. And so Israel lived, for the most part, in incredible poverty. The folk who didn't were the Romans and the collaborators. The collaborators here, Jewish folk here who decided, forget the covenant, forget Yahweh, forget Judaism, I'm siding with Rome. And so they would collect money, impose incredible taxes on the people to, to give to the Roman machine against their own folk. And the way you became a, a tax, you didn't go to school to become a tax collector, right? The way you became it is you would bid to Caesar every year. You would bid it out, contract based on how many folk are in your jurisdiction, what you think you can get as far as money for each one. So you, you gave the bid to Rome and they would, of course, take the highest bidder. But you better not overbid because at the end of the year, Rome's giving you a bill. And so you have to make sure that you can actually get this. And so you can imagine the folk are given pretty substantial bids. And then there, you see Zacchaeus coming at you. It's shakedown time because he's got to get the cash. Well, Zacchaeus got the job over and again he got this job. And what Rome would do is they would send him some military muscle to make sure that there was a proper incentive to the peasant folk to make sure and give and do what they were supposed to do. This was like something out of a mafia movie, but it was legal. And so Zacchaeus is, is a tax collector, but he's not just a tax gatherer, is he? He is the chief tax collector. He's the big man. He's the boss. He is the kingpin of the Jericho tax cartel. That's who, that's who Zacchaeus is. Zacchaeus is the godfather. He has got it going. He is more wealthy than most folk other than the governor in this area. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Yeah, we're going to get to that. But you need to know there was nobody bigger in Jericho than Zacchaeus. 
was rich. He had arrived. His, uh, his ship had come in. He was king of the hill, even though it was a dung hill, he would find out later on. Then just, we need to just mention this too. Let me back up for just a second and say this. Wealth is not synonymous in scripture with unrighteousness, right? We, we understand that. There was uh, Abraham and David and Solomon and uh, Lydia. And there's a good enough Philemon. All kinds of folk who were God-fearers, who chased after the Lord, who had wealth. It's, it's almost like uh, alcohol, if I can bring up that illustration. Uh, drinking alcohol is not outlawed in Scripture, but drunkenness is. And so wealth is, is not evil, but it's dangerous. Greed is, is, is wrong. You need, we just need to know that greed is, is not defined as uh, how big your bank account is. Greed is defined by how small your heart is. Luke, look at what he, he says here. He says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness or all greed or all kinds of greed, your version might say. All kinds of greed. Because greed wears a lot of hats. You got the conspicuous consumer, someone whose who's self-worth is based on, on what's in their driveway or how big their home is or what's around their, their wrists or what's in their closet. They just, it's got to be the right brand and it's got to look the best and it's got, that's, their worth is dependent on that. Yeah, that's, that's what we think of sometimes when we think of greed, but greed can also take the appearance of a uh, security-bound saver, you know? They don't spend a whole lot, but boy, they hoard it all. Because you got to be wise, you know what I mean? And plan for a rainy day, and they just don't know how much rain is coming, and so they are planning for a tsunami, man. I might live to be 165, and then health care is going to cost, and so they're going to save it all, all of it. Or perhaps it's somebody who's just a power player payer, you know, where money is really just an avenue. It's a way to uh, me to manipulate, me to control, me to, to be in charge. Greed wears lots of hats. And so again, we don't want to think I don't have, therefore this is not my deal, because greed is not, it's not a, a wallet issue. It is a heart issue, Scripture will say, over and over and, and over. And so we just need to, to recognize that. It says, as he was seeking, and he was seeking to see Jesus. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. I love that. He was seeking to see Jesus. Now why in the world would the chief tax collector be seeking to see Jesus? Maybe he had heard, heard, heard about Matthew. Now, I don't know if Matthew and Zacchaeus were, were friends. They were in different jurisdictions, but there was a brotherhood among these, these folk, and so maybe he knew about him, no doubt. And, and maybe he heard that Matthew left this lucrative business of being a tax gatherer. He left to follow Jesus. He left to kind of go back towards Judaism, as it were. didn't know you could do that. And maybe he heard that Jesus was a friend of, of sinners and tax gatherers. For granted aloud, nobody was a friend of tax gatherers. They were suspicious of each other, you know. And so where's Jesus being, what is this about? And when Matthew got, came to follow Christ, he had a big party of other tax gatherers, and Jesus came to it, for crying out loud, which was unclean on several different fronts. And Zacchaeus has got Zacchaeus' mind going. 
am I chasing the right thing? Who is this, this Jesus? He's, he's intrigued. It, it says that, that on account of the crowd, he could not see him because he was small of stature. He was a wee little man. And, and um, I think Luke is just letting us know that because uh, he's going to tell us he's up in a tree in a minute and he wants us to know why he's up in a tree. But whenever scripture describes somebody physically, you should have a, a red flag that should go up in your mind. Why is he? Because that's not a normal thing in scripture. Normally you don't have descriptions of, of people physically. If there are, there's a reason. And maybe the reason's just that this guy is going to be up in a tree and Luke wants us to know that. Maybe there's something more. I can only imagine that um, growing up little in a big man's world is probably pretty difficult. If kids back then were the same as kids today, they can be incredibly cruel. And I'm guessing that Zacchaeus had a lot of things said to him, a lot of mocking. He was the, the subject, I'm sure, of verbal stonings over and over again. He wanted to be accepted, wanted to be loved, but he was the verbal punching bag. Ah. And so what's he, what's he, what's he, what's he, how's he responding? Maybe he's turning his back on the people who turned their back on him. Maybe he's saying, I'm going to show you who's little. I'm going to make something of myself, and I'm going to show you who's in charge. And I just wonder if when Zacchaeus threw these families in pauper's prison because they could not pay their taxes, there was just not a little bit of vengeance stuff going on in his heart. When he was incorporating incredible burden and depression on these folk who made fun of him, if he wasn't maybe smiling in his heart a little bit. Zacchaeus was, was a small guy, but he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree. Now, in this shame-based culture, men did not run, especially more prestigious you were. You certainly did not, and you never climbed a tree for crying out loud. Now, I don't know if he's 40 feet up in this tree. I'm guessing he's just a couple feet up into the tree. But either way, any amount would certainly bring about even more mocking but it lets you know something of the desperation of Zacchaeus' heart. You know, I picture, this is, this is worth whatever it is for you. I always picture Zacchaeus as like a Danny DeVito type. You know, just little. He's just, he's, that's just kind of who he is. Um, I don't even know why I said that. I'm sorry. Let me, let me, let me keep going. It says, anyway. And so it says, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Well, there's obviously a substantial crowd out. So, I mean, the crowd is so big that Zacchaeus can't even look around it. He's got to climb this tree, right? So you've got men and women and children. Then you've got farmers and you've got merchants. And maybe you've got Pharisees. Mostly, I'm guessing, good people who are not anti-Moses or anti-law. They're, they're good, good Jewish folk. No, no, no question about it. The most notorious sinner that day is certainly Zacchaeus. And the, the, the person who deserved a relationship with Jesus least of all would be Zacchaeus. 
And so the parade's going, and Jesus is kind of waving and nodding, and everybody in the band's playing. And all of a sudden, he gets underneath Zacchaeus' tree, and he stops. And the music stops. And he looks up, and maybe Zacchaeus is just inches away from Jesus. Now, you think this is an incredible picture. You've got the Son of God. You've got the Messiah, the one who the whole Old Testament is pointing to. You've got God in the flesh, the one who originated the covenant. And right there, Zacchaeus, the one who is stomped on it. The one who says, I don't need God anymore. The one that's trying to hurt God's people. Zacchaeus, the one who, who sent a lot of Israeli children to bed hungry over the years. The one who was stolen from people, who was wearing his fancy robes and, and jewelry that was bought on the back of, of poor Israeli peasants. And Jesus is looking at this guy face to face. And I can imagine the crowd going, stinks to be Zacchaeus. Whoa, I don't know what he was doing. Oh, he's like, worst person here, Zacchaeus, best person here, Jesus. Boy, is Zac in trouble. But Jesus, right, he, he looks beyond the robes and the rings. He looks beyond Zacchaeus' past. He sees uh, gods that have failed Zacchaeus, and maybe Zacchaeus is just starting to see that. And so Jesus does the unthinkable. Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm, I, I need to spend some time at your house. You know that rumor you heard about being a friend of sinners? I want you to come on down. It's, when, when Zacchaeus is invited by Jesus, and just, just keep this in mind for whatever it's worth, that, that Zacchaeus didn't invite Jesus into his life, Jesus invited Zacchaeus into his. When Zacchaeus hears this, he responds, he's found the true riches, finally. And so it says that Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods, 50% I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. This is amazing to me, because Jesus, you would expect to say, Whoa! little fella, just hang on there a minute. I mean, don't go crazy about this. Law says 10%, that'll work. You don't have to go 50 right now. Just, just go 10%, you're a little emotional, I got that, 10% will work. And this whole idea of restitution, Leviticus 5, numbers 5, 20% will do it. 20%, but Zach's going 300%. And Jesus accepts it. For Zacchaeus, the God of his heart, Money has just been deposed. Son of God, Jesus has just organized a successful coup to this guy's soul. And Zacchaeus recognizes you cannot serve two masters. I love this because Jesus didn't say, Zach, pull out a calculator now and get out your checkbook and let's make things right. Zacchaeus just knew, I can't serve two gods. And that money God that had been controlling me for so long is just not there anymore. A generous heart is the surest sign of a regenerate heart. This is important because Jesus didn't see this guy and say, because of your doctrinal statement, Zacchaeus, salvation has come to you today. Because of your church attendance, salvation has come to you today. He looks at this guy's generosity. Now, I've got to be real clear, we're not saved because we're generous people. But generosity, if the number one computer for our heart is greed, 
then generosity is the surest sign of a heart set free. Now, now you might be saying, listen, I, I think, I'm, I'm regenerate, I think I know Christ and all, and I remember the time, and I'm trying, and I'm moving, but I gotta tell you, this, this, this greed thing, it's, it's huge. It's huge. That's why we got the 2,000 verses. Jesus says, yes, it is. It's the number one way that, that society is hammering on us. We're saying, it's, I'm, I'm trying, but I, I'm just struggling here. How can I deal with it? Well, John Ortberg talks about the evolution of generosity. I don't know if that's what he calls it, but that's what we're going to call it. Four different kinds of givers. And as we unpack these real quickly, you just try to put yourself into a category. First category is the no-givers. No givers. These are guys that give nada, right? I mean, Christian Smith in his book says that one out of five people who define themselves as deeply devoted followers of Christ. That's, that's the title they put on themselves. One out of five deeply devoted followers of Christ gave nothing to any charitable cause last year. The IRS says that 26% 26% of Americans gave nothing to any charitable cause last year. And, and the number one excuse, of course, people will use is, well, I just don't have it. See, if I had it, I would give. But remember, generosity is not a wallet issue. It's a heart issue. Greed is not a wallet issue. It is a heart issue. And folk who don't have it, but this is what we've got money for. Last year, Halloween, we spent $9 billion on Halloween. Costumes and, you know, incredibly essential things of that effect. Candy, we spent $28 billion on candy. Last year, soft drinks, $65 billion. Last year, our pets, $73 billion. Sports, last year, $100 billion. Fast food, $208 billion. Christmas, last year, came in number one with $465 billion being spent on. We have the money for things that we value and for things that we think are critical to our life, like soft drinks and Halloween. But, 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 but Jesus is saying, when you, when, you, when you come to see him, when you come to know him, your heart begins to be reflected with that. Christian Smith will say this. He says, generally between 1959 and 2000, while the financial giving by American Christians was declining, the personal consumption expenditures of Americans increased for eating out in restaurants, toys, sports supplies, live entertainment, foreign and domestic travel, lottery tickets, casino gambling, photography, sports and recreation camps, other forms of entertainment. The excuse that I hope we, that we, try, to, we try to deceive ourselves. This is why I don't give more. It's just that... An excuse. So there's the, the no givers. The second category is the slow givers. Now these are the folk who will give sporadically. You know, you tell a dead dog type story, or you throw some pictures up there of a starving kid, and they'll go, man, all right. And they'll give out of guilt more than anything else, or maybe pity, or peer pressure. On occasion, sporadically they'll give, sporadically. The uh, IRS, I'm told, I don't know if this is true, but I'm told that they have a special account set up for folk who think they've ripped off the IRS, who want to anonymously send in money. IRS will take it, no questions asked. Well, recently the IRS got a letter, said, Dear IRS, I am sorry, please forgive me. Enclosed, you will find a check for $1,000. If my conscience keeps bothering me, I'll send the rest. <laughs> 
sporadic. Give, give, just give what you have to, but don't give more than that. And, and the slow givers, no givers, right? Slow givers. Third category, grow givers. The grow givers recognize the principle, I don't have this on the screen, y'all, but of, of 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. Just listen to this. He says, now concerning the collection of the saints, offering stuff, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. So this is a command, okay? On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he has prospered. We get that first day of the week. Each of you are to store something up for the, for the offering as he has prospered. So, so grow givers recognize that giving is, first of all, regular. It's not just when I have a little bit left over this, this month. The, the, the grow giving is intentional. It's not based on my emotions or, or pity or peer pressure. It's intentional. The, the grow giving is, is related to how I give. It's, it's, it's related to how much I, I've made. And, and so we wrestle with that a little bit, you know, is it that 10%, huh? That's where you're going with this? Well, when I, I'm not going to introduce that right now, okay? But let me say this. If you're giving 1%, and you know you should be giving more than that, I hope you know that you should be giving more, then, then but you can't go 10 today, you, for whatever, you just can't. Push it to two, push it to three. This is the goal, this is what we're going after, it's what we're chasing down. So there's the no givers, the slow givers, the grow givers, and then the fourth category is the woe givers, right? Woe givers. And in Luke 21, Jesus goes to the temple. This is hilarious because they didn't pass offering plates in the, in the temple. They had the offering plates kind of on stands, and you walked up to them and you deposited your money. Jesus camps right down in front of the offering plates. He's going to watch what people put in the offering plates. And we might think, well, that's kind of rude. <laughs> I mean, who does he think he is watching what I give? Well, I think he's at every time we give the offering, watching what we put in the plates, by the way. But he's, he's watching this, and, and lo and behold, a poor elderly gal comes and puts in all she's got and Jesus stands up uh, bingo he said these other folk put in what was left over didn't bother their lifestyle at all didn't hurt them in any way shape or form but this gal she sacrificed she gave sacrificially that's the woe giving it's giving beyond. I've got a, a, a buddy, he's retired now, but when he was, uh, last multiple years of his uh, work, he gave over 30% a year. I've got a professor at school who, 25 years ago, when I first met this guy, he was giving over 30%. Today, he's over 50%. Uh, sacrificial givers. It's not just extra stuff. It's, it's choosing a simpler lifestyle so that they can they can invest more in the kingdom of God and what really, really matters. Now, you, you might be, be thinking with this, I, I don't know, I don't mean, there was a, a gentleman, God came to him and God said, what do you want? I'll give you one thing. The guy, the guy said, I want a Wall Street Journal dated one year from now. And God said, you got it. He got the paper. He said, looked, looked at the markets, of course, said, I'm going to make all kinds of cash here, man. Oh, baby, at the end of this year, I am going to be rolling. Looked over a page at the obituary column, right? <laughs> Saw his name. And so it's just that reminder of what we're living for. And I talked to a buddy this week. 
uh, neat guy, a very, very good friend of mine. He was diagnosed a couple years back with uh, pulmonary fibrosis. You've got two to five years once you've been diagnosed with pulmonary fibrosis. And uh, neat, neat guy. Just a reminder to me, life's a whole lot shorter than we think it's going to be. Are we investing in living for him? Let me say this one last thing. Because of this uh, Luke 19, uh, this does, this is a picture, obviously, of a redeemed life, of one who, who really comes to know Christ. But, but more than that, this story is not about Zacchaeus. It's about Jesus. The very last verse he says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Maybe this morning, maybe you come to church on a regular basis, maybe wanting to see Jesus, not even sure what that would look like, kind of intrigued a little bit. And maybe this morning, Jesus in his parade stopped underneath your limb. And he knows what you're chasing, and he knows what's on your heart, and he, he's, he's asking you, inviting you. Come down. Let's, let's fellowship. I got something really important for you. Not like chasing after money. I've got something really important for you to do. And he would call you this morning. And you would have the same, the same crossroad. You'd get the same crossroad that Zacchaeus was at when he said yes. Or when the rich young ruler was at when he said no. You're at that same crossroad maybe this morning. What will you choose what will you choose? Pray with me. Lord, thank you. Oh, God, thank you for calling my name, calling our name. When we were uh, lost, maybe had no clue how bad we were in. And yet you, oh God, knew. You knew the things we've done and the things that we... Uh, didn't do that we should have, the people we've hurt, and yet you, you want fellowship with us. You're a friend of sinners. Thank you. Thank you for that, Lord. And, and this morning, God, if there's anybody here who has never come to a place of recognizing that you gave your son for them, may they, they be at a place this morning, Jesus, where they would hear your voice call out to them. And may they respond to God through, as we go through this week, as hell would tempt us on a regular basis, as our BC default system would kick in and we would want to embrace riches, would you, would you remind us, oh Lord, would you remind us that you're so much bigger than that, that our identity in you is so much beyond that. And may we be generous people for the sake of your, your kingdom advancing, Jesus, for it's in your name we pray, amen. You are dismissed. Have a good day. When night has fallen, when fear is coming.